during worship, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, which is my favorite hymn. There's a three-hymn Sunday, huh? Woo! Man. That's worth the price of admission right there. First, usually there's other lines that get me. Usually it's the line, uh, my sin or the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. That's a great line. But the line that hit me this time was the opening line of the hymn where it says, when peace like a river attendeth my soul. Now, I'm a fly fisherman and I love rivers. Uh, if you ever watched the movie uh, A River Runs Through It, anybody? Big fan? The rest of you, sorry about that. Uh, the, the line in that movie where he says, I am haunted by waters, I'm haunted by rivers. That's a great line. That's me. I just, oh, it's just a great place. And that peace like a river attendeth, attendeth. Man, what a cool way to say it. Peace like a river just attends you. You have this sense of just everything is the way it should be. And then he, the next line says, or, or, sorrows like sea billows roll. It's a complete opposite. You get these breakers, and they're just crashing in. Crash, crash. Thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. The Bible is written in that way. I think oftentimes we read the Bible like these aren't real people, and they're not going through real experiences. And, and this morning we're going to open it up. to It's pretty raw, we're really going to touch a nerve in what we're going to look at this morning. Um, something came to me about, let's see, how long ago is it now? It's probably almost nine years or so ago. I had been married to Carol for about nine years. And uh, I, had, I was under the impression that I was pretty much giving her all of myself. And then, and then one day I, it thought, the thought came to me, what, what would happen if she died? And I thought to myself, well, Lord, you're my, you're my stay, you're everything, and I want to keep it that way, so, so um, I, I would, I would, I would, it'd be all right, it'd be hard, it'd be difficult, I'm, I'm very attracted to this woman, I love her I'm, and everything, but, but I, I think I'd be able to function, and it hit me, I think God was just communicating, opening up a door that I hadn't ever really opened up before, that you don't need to love other people less in order to love God more. And it was at that point, I tried to communicate this, Carol, I don't remember this, but I was trying to communicate, I think there's been some things I've been withholding from you, and I didn't even know I was doing it. And so I tried to open up those doors of my life and, and become more in love with her. And of course, you don't diminish your love for God, you increase it. But I've thought of that question often. What would have happened if she were to die? I can't even look at her right now, because if I do, I'll lose it. I would be unable to function for a long period of time. That sense of loss would be so great, I, I would just, like that song that Tim just sang, I would just scream. I would be beside myself. The Bible talks clearly about those things. And that's why I think we've done such a disservice in communicating to our culture that the Bible is just about a list of do's and don'ts and all this. Oh my goodness. The Bible is a book that was written for you in those moments. Open up your Bible to John chapter 11. We're going to look at someone who is right, look at actually two people who are right there. We're looking right now at the, um, the account of the death of one of Jesus' 
best friends. And also his sisters. It's the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. We're breaking it into three weeks just because it's a long story. And that there actually are three kind of different things taking place here. This particular amazing thing is one of Jesus' best friends dies. Jesus, I'm going to spoil it for you, a warning, spoiler alert, alert, that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He knows it's going to happen. And yet, this particular time, the, and, the, and the first time we've seen in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to do something kind of different. Usually, Jesus does a miracle, like heal the blind man, or heal the man at the pool who was lame, uh, heals them, and then that leads into kind of a sermon that he preaches, or, or a teaching that he gives to a crowd. This time, it's just the flip. This time, he's going to actually do the sermon first, and then end it with this Healing. And, and the, the teaching that he wants to give, I think, is, we saw some of it last week, but a lot of it's going to come out on how he's going to deal with these two people who are in that moment of, of screaming, where are you? Where, literally, where are you, Jesus? They're in the midst of the loss of their brother who they deeply loved. So look at John chapter 11. I'm going to read what happened last week just to catch you up to speed in case you weren't here. First 16 verses. Now now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This uh, Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, Remember we said that that event hasn't even happened in the book of John. That Mary and Martha and Lazarus would be so famous by this time, the time of the writing of the book of John, that... Uh, they would have known who they were, even though they hadn't heard about it yet. Uh, in, in later, it comes in chapter 12. And we'll find out why that is in just a minute. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. sick. In, in other words, come. It, it's a plea to come. Do something. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, verse 4, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And, and then the NIV, the New International Version, says the word yet. And we spent a lot of time last week showing her that that's uh, interpretive. It really should be the word so or therefore. Almost every other translation does it that way. Clearly is in the original language, therefore. And that's a huge, huge difference. In other words, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Therefore, he didn't go. He stayed two more days. The, the, the whole idea here is that God's love and people's suffering are not in conflict. That the good of Lazarus and Martha and Mary and God's glory and his love for you are not in conflict. In fact, it's motivated. He loved him so he didn't go. So he waited two more days. Then he said to his disciples, after the two days, now let's go. Let's go back to, to, to Judea. Uh, blah, 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 to Judea, which is by Bethany, which is by Jerusalem. Very, very dangerous place for the disciples to be. For Jesus to be. Last time they were there, they tried to stone him. So they, they say something. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And you can just imagine, like I said last week, the look on the disciples' face like, and your point is? So he goes on, he says, after this he said this, 
went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples again, I love these guys, uh, say, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Isn't that awesome? There's all kinds of things that's going to happen because of the raising of Lazarus. One of them is the disciples are going to get a chance to really lock in and, whoa, this guy is who he says he is. Even though they already have said that, they're going to lock in now. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas here, is a guy who's got uh, guts, says, uh, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Okay, that was last week. Now, that's the setting of what's happened. Lazarus has died. Jesus waits. Jesus causes it or allows it. However you want to phrase it, doesn't really matter. If he would have went, he, would have been, he, wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have died. He waits. Why? Because he loved him. Verse 17. Here we go with this week. On his arrival, and we're going to find out in a minute what that means. He doesn't actually get to the, to the house yet. He's going to get to the house later. He hasn't come there yet. Uh, uh, he's still a ways off. But he's an arrival in the, in the vicinity of Bethany, the city of Bethany. Jesus found or heard that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, why does John tell us that he'd been there four days? Okay, I think the simple, sometimes you just got to get really simple on this. He's dead. Okay, people go in the tomb for a little while, they might be alive. If you're there four days, four days, done. Put, I mean, that's it, you're dead. So you and I and, the, and readers today would read this and say, got it, hear it. Now, for the original reader, though, at that time, there was a superstitious belief, even among the Jewish rabbis, some of them would teach that the spirit of a person kind of hovers over a person for three days. Okay, just waiting possibly that somebody would have learned CPR or something and would have raised him or I don't know what. Somehow, this guy might come back to life and it just kind of hovers there for three days. And after three days, whoo, so the four days there is just to indicate he's dead. Okay, I think we got that too. Okay, the idea is this guy is dead. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, we don't get this. So I have to kind of paint this picture for you here. When we have someone, when we uh, have the death of a loved one, uh, generally we put coffee on, make some, you know, krumkaka or whatever your tradition is, uh, and you have cookies and you sit there and people come over and you cry a little bit. And that's kind of the normal thing. This culture wasn't like that. This culture is similar to when you see people die in the, in the Middle East now. And you see them carrying the casket through the, through the, the uh, streets and people mobbing and flocking and wailing at the top of their lungs. That's, what, what this, that's the way they mourned in the Middle East. In fact, so much so that the Jewish rabbis taught that you should hire two, I'm not sure why two, but two flute players... And again, my apologies to flute players in the room, but somehow flute brought on mourning. I don't know if they were. <laughs> but the idea was, that's kind of a happy instrument to me, but you know, something like the tuba or something I would do. But the, <laughs> the uh, my apologies to two players, but the, the you know, the, the flute brought along some, must have been some, 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 I don't know, some type of song they played or whatever. Not only that, but you hired at least one. 
And I kid you not, he hired at least one professional mourner. That's what they did. Business card, what do you do? I mourn. Oh, can you show me? And they would scream. Oh, break time, got to go. Off break. That's what they would do. They would, they were mourners. And that's what the scene would look like. You get these flute players going. You've got people, at least one professional mourner there. And you've got people that hear the noise. And so they would come. You've got this crowd. And they're loud. These people are loud. It's a, it's a scene of almost chaos as you mourn the loss of someone. That's, they just got it all out. There was no Norwegian. There was no Scandinavian. They just let it all hang out. Okay? Those of you who are Italian know what I'm talking about. So, now, First thing, I want to let you get into the picture of Mary and Martha. Why were these so these two known so well? Why was this story known so well? And the, the John, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, we all said, and if you go back 50 messages, this, this is our 50th message in the Gospel of John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll finish. We finished this year. I plotted it out. Anyway, the... Um, the 50 messages ago or so, we talked about when was the Gospel of John written. The Gospel of John, I think, clearly is the last Gospel written, and he even assumes that you've read some of the other Gospels. The other people would have gotten, this would have been one of those things. Because he talks about Mary and Martha as if you know them, and he doesn't introduce them. So where else would you get them from? The primary other place is Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, you get the famous story about Mary and Martha. And I just want to read it to you so you understand these two women a little bit better. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So, so the idea is here, there's this traveling teacher, and Martha has either heard of him or someone tells her about him or whatever, and somehow she opens up her home to him. Come and stay here. You can eat here. You can, as long as you need to stay in my home, it is your home as much as it is my home. Incredible hospitality. Okay, she opens her home. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So here you got Mary. Some people would say, most likely, Mary's the younger sister and uh, because Martha owns the home and she's the one doing a lot of the preparations. I mean, when you invite someone into your home, generally you'll feed them. So you've know, got to give Martha a little bit of a break here. She's just trying to serve Jesus. She's just trying to help him. And Mary, being the younger sister or whatever, is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Now you can see a little family tension going to happen here, and here it comes. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that she that had to be made. She came to him, the him is Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, picture this again. It's a little awkward, right? You're the guest. You're at somebody's home. And somebody comes to you and says, her, she's not helping. Tell her to help. It's like, ah, uh, listen, I'm not getting in your dysfunction. You guys handle your own, you know? What's the deal? I'm just, just kind of invited in. And he says, tell her to help me. And this is, this is why Luke includes this. He's not rebuking Martha for making dinner. Making dinner is a good thing. But he's certainly not going to rebuke Mary for sitting there at the feet learning. He says, Martha, Martha. By the way, if Jesus replaces your name twice, you are, something's coming. All right? The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I am not going to tell her to come and wash pots and pans. Right now, sit here. Later, there's a time for washing pots and pans. Not now. Right now, sit here. 
So there's always, uh, uh, there's this one scene, you know, it'd be kind of a bummer if there was just one clip of your life. You know, clip, and Martha is, admittedly, the bad example here, right? Okay, she's too busy. She's, she's focused on her do list. Maybe you've heard, oh, I'm being so much of a Martha lately. I'm just focusing on everything. And, and Mary's the one that does, does right in this certain instance. You know, other instances, like, Mary, will you do something here? You know, click, click, click. Come on, come on, get on the program. But this particular instance, Martha is the one who's distracted, and Mary's doing the right thing. All right, now, when you're in those times when you're asking uh, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? And that is this, these women's question. When he, Jesus, or excuse me, Martha and Mary are asking clearly, where were you? We sent for you. They're going to state it in the, in the phrase of a sentence, but it's really an indictment. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I.e., where were you? Okay, when you're in that point, and many of us are there, some of you are out of that, and some of you maybe are just going into that. That's, that's, I love this passage because it's, I think it teaches us some things about Christ that we don't learn any other place. It is interesting that, that John, the, the guy who wrote this, includes this little thing about Jesus coming to console Martha and Mary. And he does it separately. It's really interesting to me because they're not the major deal here. The major deal is he let them die. They're coming. He's going to heal them, Right? But Jesus wants to teach them something in the process of it. And this is the only way he's going to teach them it. First, he's going to deal with Martha. How does Jesus comfort Martha? Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. So Jesus is is on his way. He comes in the vicinity. He hears Lazarus is dead. And Martha hears that he's coming and goes out to see him. Doesn't wait for him to come. But Mary stayed at home. Aha! This time, Mary's the one messing up, huh? Mary stays home. Martha, I wish, no, it's not the snapshot we get of Martha and Mary. We always get that Luke 10. But I'm sure Mary is saying, everyone, please think of me in light of John 11:20. I'm the one that went. Mary stayed home. All right, anyway. <clears throat> she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Think about that. In the rawness of her pain, she doesn't say, oh, Lord, Lazarus died. I feel so terrible. She doesn't just come to him and hold him and hug him. She indicts him. And she says a true statement. If you would have come and done something, he wouldn't have died. Uh, written here in the white space is, didn't you hear? I sent for you. Written in the white spaces of us is, didn't you hear my prayer? I prayed that. Where are you? But then Martha says an amazing thing. But, in the midst of her sorrow, in the midst of everything else, but, I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Wow. That's incredible. She's actually asking, I believe, for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. You could do it. 
You could do it if you, if you wanted to, Jesus. Now, Jesus takes this opportunity here to teach her something. That's the teaching that's happening. Why is she going to go through all this pain? Because she's going to learn something so rich. And what's she going to learn? He, he looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. And now she's got to be wondering, is he giving me just co- consolation here because I'm in pain? And is, is he just telling me that, yes, he's, he's physically dead, but he will raise... Or is he telling me that, that he will actually raise him now? And, and Jesus, of course, the answer is yes. He's, he's saying both. But Martha goes back and forth on him. And, and, and Jesus is giving her great theology is what he's giving her. Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know he'll, I know he'll do that. And then Jesus gives one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, one of the things that comforts people. This passage is read at so many funerals. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, stop there, wait a second. If, if you believe, believe, you will live, but you'll die, but you'll never die. That's what he said. And that's true. It says you will physically die, but from that moment, you won't be dead. You will live. If death is separation from life, you will always be alive. You will always live. Why? Jesus says not, he doesn't say, because I'm the one who can bring about resurrection, because I'm the one who can bring about life. He doesn't say, it says, because I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the power source. I am the one that you plug into. I am the one that you're alive. In me is how you're going to live. It says it all over. Who believes in me will live. Whoever lives and believes in in me will never die. In Christ, you don't die. You're just in him. You're alive all the time. Then he says, do you believe this? Now, Jesus is giving her, how how does Martha need to be consoled? I don't know, being the older and the more sensible one? Maybe, I'm just guessing, speculation. She needed a vision of the future. How does, how does Jesus comfort Martha by giving her a vision of the future and giving her good theology and helping her to overcome the very thing that she's mourning? And the thing that she's mourning is the death of her brother. And he's saying, you know what? That death actually will result in his life. He, that's, that's what she needed. Now, we're going to find out Mary doesn't need that at all. I see the younger sister, a little more impulsive, whole thing, I don't know, I'm reading into it. But Mary doesn't need that. We're going to see something totally different. But that's what Martha needs. As she came, if she came running to Jesus, that's what she needed. And Jesus Christ, the teaching that you need to get is, Jesus Christ says, I'm the victor over death. Every person that's ever lived after Adam and Eve sinned, which is every one of us, the promise the, the, the threat, actually, was if you eat from the wrong tree, you will die. And guess what? We die. They did it. We die. Every person that's ever lived, times have completely changed on a million other ways. Guess what? Every person to 100% that I know of dies. You do. You live, you die. And you're not created to die. Don't anybody ever tell me that death is a natural part of life. Hoo-ha! Did I just say hoo-ha? I did. Uh, yeah, that's not, that's not right. Well, whoever said that? That's stupid. I'm not created to die. You're not created to die. That's why it feels so wrong. Somebody around you dies, it's like, oh, good. No. No one ever says that. It's wrong. 
being separated from people that I've grown affectionate to, it's wrong. It's part of the curse. Don't tell me it's a natural part of the world. It's, it's unhealthy. It's wrong. Jesus came to undo that. What is the teaching? The teaching in Scripture all over is about how Jesus came to undo it. In Revelation, Jesus talks about himself as he as he's, uh, uh, starts out the book of Revelation. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades, or hell. I hold the keys. Usually the person who holds the keys is the driver of the Oldsmobile, huh? He holds it. It's done. Second one, Paul writes about it. He says, when the perishable, that's our bodies, have been clothed with the imperishable, our new bodies, with the mortal, with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Every one of us has thought about death. And there's an element of, hmm, I ain't done that before. I wonder what that's like. Right? Every one of us. Every person has that thought. And it's freaky. Remember, one of the reasons, probably the primary reason why I became a follower of Jesus was because at 18, and I don't know why it happened to me at 18, some people it doesn't happen until they hit 50, but at 18 for me, I became mortal. It just became very real to me that I was going to die. It wasn't just a concept out there to talk about. You know, like the hip, hip way to talk about death culture and all that, not cool. Yeah, but at this, I don't know why, but it just became very real to me that I was going to die. And Jesus Christ saying, you know what? You are going to die, but you'll always, you will live if you follow me. You can know where you're going after you die. 100% certainty if you're a follower of me, if you trust me. If you come to a point in your life where you let me be your sin bearer, accept me and follow me, you can know that on judgment day you will be given life. That's what the cross is all about. That's the good news of the gospel. That's how he's the resurrection and the life. It's a beautiful message. So therefore, where's your sting, death? Where's your victory? Paul says, in, in, in the Philippians, he says, it's to my benefit to die. I want to die. I, and he's not psychotic. He wants to die and be with Christ, which is better by far, he says. The author of the book of Hebrews says, Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by death, by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you see that? That's what Martha gets. Martha gets face to face with Jesus. Her brother, she, she has watched him breathe his last. And she gets the theology about the beauty of living forever in Christ. And she's asked, point blank, do you believe it? Now, the final part of Martha's consolation is a question. Do you believe it? Remember how this conversation began? It began with an indignation. It began with an with a indictment towards Christ. Hey, if you would have come, he wouldn't have died. Jesus flips the whole thing over saying, do you trust me in all this? Do you really believe I am who I am? And Mar I can just see, you know, I see in my mind a movie here where there's, there's a, a couple things going on and, and, and there's this moment of silence and maybe the music gets tense and there's a decision and she lets it go. 
And she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, I, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has to come into the world. And that's the comfort given to Martha. Good, solid hope in future grace of Christ. That's what, that's what Martha gets and that's what Martha needed. That's not what Mary needs. At least, not only that, she needs more than that. Look at what was given to Mary. After she, that's again Martha, uh, had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Remember, Mary's back home. Mary is, Martha went out to see Jesus. Mary's back at home where all the professional mourners are and this whole whole circus thing of, a, of a, you know, mourning is taking place. People everywhere. And she pulls her aside and she says, the teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, little word to the wise. It's a biblical principle, actually. If you want to go somewhere quietly, if you want to go somewhere secretively, don't run to get there. Because look what happens. Uh, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So now there's, there's Mary and this group of people behind her coming over to Jesus. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. We're going to see just in a minute that she's sobbing. And she says the exact words that Martha said, this time through tears, just sobbing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, what does Mary need? What's the consolation given to Mary? Jesus doesn't say a word to her. There's not a single word given to Mary. But he gives her consolation. Look at what happens. Verse 28, when, or excuse me, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, that phrase right there is very difficult to translate into English. He was deeply moved in spirit. It's a phrase that, that in classical Greek, which is the Bible's written in Greek, in classical Greek, what it meant was, it meant indignation, anger, it meant like a horse snorting like a horse preparing for battle, you know. That kind of a thing. Sorry, Cor. Uh, it was this working yourself up. It can also mean just intense emotion to the point of getting, getting agitated. The phrase troubled, if you have a King James with you, means trembled. So much so that you just... All, your emotions are completely gotten a hold of you. Now, I, I'm going I'm to shoot straight with you. There's two camps here, and I'm going to fall into the, the, the second camp. The first camp is saying that Jesus is very, very angry. This, this idea of this horse being ready for battle, and you, you get the horse all agitated so he can run out. Uh, Jesus was very angry. Well, the obvious question then is, what's he angry about? I understand the emotion, but why anger? 
And the answers that this camp will give, which I am not part of, this camp would say, well, he's angry because he saw her weeping, and the Jews with her weeping, those obviously from the passage, we see that clearly, and he's either angry at them because they don't trust him, or angry at um, the, the situation uh, regarding the professional mourners, some have said, or angry with um, the, the people who are not sincere, or angry at death itself. Now, uh, some very high, very bright people believe this, so I, 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 it's possible. I, I just don't, I don't see it that way. To me, if you read the rest of the passage, Jesus now says, where have you laid him, he asks. And he's not saying this to, to Mary, because she doesn't respond. The, 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 the group responds. They say, come and see, Lord, they reply. And he doesn't, he's not there yet. They just say, come and see. And as that happens, the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And really better translation would be, Jesus burst into tears. Just flood. Okay, so I, I see that. And to me, it's, this, it's an agitation that's brought about by intense mourning. That, that's the way I see it. Uh, and, and if you disagree with me, that's fine. I mean, nothing's really at stake here except one thing that I think is pretty important. But I, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I guess it is kind of at stake. But I, I, I do really feel pretty strong in this other way. And then I'm not the only one. There are very bright, scholarly people. In fact, I want to show you a comment uh, by someone who would agree with this. And it's, it's about 50-50 way the different commentators believe on this particular, what he's, what he's so agitated about. A guy by the name of F.F. Bruce, and he goes by F.F. because his name is Frederick Fivey. So I guess I'd go by F.F. too, my name is Frederick Fivey. He says this, he says, Some commentators have found it difficult to suppose that he who is presented in this gospel as the incarnate word, knowing what he was going to do, so he knew that he was going to heal him, he knew that he was going to raise him, so they find it difficult to say that he should be genuinely moved by sorrow and sympathy, as others might be at the graveside, and have put this, his tears down to some other cause, anger and frustration, perhaps, at the blindness and lack of faith which he saw in those who were around at the time. But the friends and neighbors who were there had no doubt about the cause of his tears. He was weeping for a dearly loved friend. Look how he loved him, they said. We're going to see that in, verses, in verse 36. Some indeed thought, and not unnaturally, that such a healer as he might already shown himself to be might have done something to prevent his friend from dying. In truth, the reader may feel some surprise that Jesus, who was so completely in command of the situation and knew that the glory of God was about to be manifested in a sing signal manner, should nevertheless shed tears of grief for a departed friend and his mourning relatives as anyone else might do. But in him, the eternal word became truly incarnate and shared the common lot of mankind. Our evangelist, that means uh, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, would have agreed completely with the writer to the Hebrews that Jesus is well able to sympathize with his people's weaknesses. Having been tested himself in the school of suffering, it was in sympathy with those who wept that he also wept. Here is no automaton, but a real human being. Now, why do I think that's so important to hold that? What difference does it make? I think it makes all the difference in the world. How is Mary consoled otherwise? By Jesus getting mad at her? Does it make any sense to me? How is he, 
How is Mary consoled? What's the message of consolation to Mary? Jesus losing it. Jesus weeping with her. You know, in your life, you will have to be, you'll be called into a situation where people will be mourning. And you're going to think that you're going to have to come up with some wise words. And at times, like Martha, maybe there are wise words you can say. But at other times, when people are at your feet, either figuratively or literally weeping, Jesus is the word of wisdom here. What do you say? Nothing. And you weep with them. And you hold them. That's the message given to Martha. That's how Martha got consoled. She saw Jesus unlike we see anywhere else. Jesus losing it completely. I don't know if you ever go through those moments. I go through those moments about once every two or three years where just for whatever reason, just the, the, the bank is just filled up and I just need to have a good cry session. And I just, it just explodes for me. It's just this massive expression and it always comes out for me and that's why I lean, I know you shouldn't look at just your experience, but my experience lines up perfectly is it starts off this mourning, this sobbing, and it kind of moves towards yelling and this kind of prayer yell. Where are you, God? What's going on? How can this happen? I hate this. Usually I'm alone. It's a good thing to be alone (laughs) with that. I don't want anybody around me. And if you love me, leave me alone at those times because it ain't pretty. There's goobers coming out of my nose. You know, I mean, it's just ugly. That's what's happening with, I see, that's what's happening with Jesus. Can you imagine that? The intimacy that he let Martha in, or excuse me, Mary in on. He let her see that. How do I know he let her see it? John writes down, writes it down. Somebody saw it. Somebody saw it. There's no just internal things going on in Jesus. It's, it's visible. So much so that an outsider could write about it. Verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I'm going to close this morning and ask you this. I don't know if you're at a place of mourning or not. I don't know. I know this, you will be. By and large, most of the people will be in a place of mourning. By and large, most of the people in this room will help people through mourning. And the answer is not, God is not in control. Clearly not from the passage. God is in control of all things at all times. And the answer is not that God is not good. Clearly not from the passage. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus and wanted their good. And the answer is that Jesus doesn't care. Clearly not. From the fact that he loses it and snorts like a horse and weeps with those who weep. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you need where you're at and the things you're going through. Maybe you need the good theology. Maybe you need the hope of the resurrection. Maybe you need to know that there's a future hope out there. And that's true. That's true. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you can know by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ that that is a certain future for you. That's the good news of the gospel. And some of you are, 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 are just wired a little bit differently and you just say, you know what, I need to know that, but right now I need someone holding me, weeping with you. And if you're going through something difficult right now, this passage is clear to me. In spite of his sovereignty, in spite of all his goodness, in spite of all his love, he's there weeping with you. 
if that's where you're at this morning, that's the awesome Jesus Christ whom we worship. Let's pray together. Lord, I love the way your word paints a beautiful picture of you. And I pray that any misconceptions we'd have at the door and any, any things we put about you that you don't care or you don't feel or you don't bleed with us is so untrue. It's clear from this passage. It's clear from Hebrews that you sympathize with us because you yourself suffered. So Jesus, some of us in this room, we're like Martha. We're we're a little more stoic. We need you to give us right ideas. We need you to give us good theology. We need you to tell us that the resurrection is coming and that there's hope and nothing, nothing is done haphazardly. You know what you're doing in everything. You never waste pain. You know what you're doing. The world is not out of control. Sure, sin seems to be, but Lord God, you use all things together for good. You do. And some of us in this room need to hear that. We need to hear it from your spirit. We can hear it from me saying it. We can hear it even from your word. But until your spirit just latches onto our soul, and then you look us straight in the eyes just like you did, Martha, and say, do you believe this? Are you willing to trust me? And some of us this morning, that's where we're at. We, need to, we just need to come to you and say, we trust you. God, others, others of us in this room are more like Mary. And Lord, yeah, we love the theology, we love the truth, we love those things we can hang on to, but the reality is our emotions have run ahead of us and we are at your feet weeping, screaming, where are you? So Lord, we ask that by your spirit, Lord, that you would communicate a morning Savior that you would communicate that you're holding them and you're weeping with them. And God, that you never leave, you never forsake, and that you go right through the valley of the shadow of death with us. And so, Lord, we ask for that. We ask if that's what we need this morning, that you would come by your Spirit. Lord, if there are people in this room who for the first time in their lives are wondering whether or not to believe the fact that you are the resurrection and the life, would you even right now, right now, just quicken their hearts so that they could say, along with Martha, I believe. Pray this in Christ's name.